Camp violence. A woman is shot near Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park in broad daylight. Plus, she's going to be in the hospital for six months to a year. Friends come together to support a young woman whose life will never be the same. And, and we're stacking people on top of each other. Why occupants of a Vancouver cemetery can now share accommodations. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. More safety concerns tonight about a Vancouver homeless encampment that's growing more dangerous by the day. A woman was shot in broad daylight yesterday near Oppenheimer Park. The woman who's from Powell River is seriously injured. It's just the latest incident of violence that police have issued repeated warnings about. Paul Johnson has our top story. So this is a story that will no doubt embolden those who were calling for this camp to be cleared out. This was a 53-year-old woman who doesn't live here. In fact, she lives in Powell River. She'd been down here because she was visiting a man who has been living in Oppenheimer Park. She was sitting in her car on Dunleavy Street, that's right here, when she was shot. 3.30 in the afternoon, in broad daylight, she managed to get herself to hospital. She had surgery. We're told she's going to be okay. But this is one of the reasons why Vancouver police are increasingly worried about the safety situation down here. They say they recently thwarted a murder plot in the camp and that the existence of this camp now is acting like a magnet that's drawing more gangsters and thugs to an already very troubled neighborhood because of the huge public safety concerns that we do have to look at things like injunctions. As far as the political side of it, that's between the city and the park board to work out. But as the chief of police, I'm saying that it is time to move down that road. So Vancouver police want this park to be cleared out. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart has told me that he wants it humanely dismantled. But the issue here is this is a city park. It's legally separate from the city itself. Politically, it's controlled by the park board. And so far, they have said they do not intend to use their authority to clear out this encampment in Oppenheimer Park, even as other parts of the city are saying there's a public safety crisis here that's only getting worse. Back to you. A day of fishing in North Vancouver ended with two men being rescued from the fast-moving, very cold waters of the Capilano River. RCMP say four men were enjoying a day fishing on the river near the fish hatchery when two of them were swept away. One managed to get himself to shore. First responders were deployed on both sides of the river and were able to rescue the other man. Both were taken to hospital, one in critical condition, the other in stable condition. It's just another reminder for us when you're out uh, enjoying the, the river or out enjoying the trails to uh, keep your personal safety in mind. Uh, for the fishermen here today, uh, the use of a personal flotation device could have been a, a difference maker for uh, the result that we had today. A tragic update to a Coquitlam homicide earlier this week. Investigators confirmed the victim was an eight-year-old boy. Oscar Tattinger's body was discovered Monday afternoon at a home on Seton Avenue. The boy's father, a man in his 40s, was also found dead inside. Homicide investigators said one of the two people who died in the home was murdered and that they were not looking for any suspects. An autopsy has been done, but police are not revealing the cause of death for either the father or son. 
It's been two weeks since a young woman was dragged beneath a trailer for blocks on East Hastings Street. 24-year-old Desiree Evancio remains in hospital with life-altering injuries. She's had numerous surgeries and will require years of rehabilitation. So today, as Grace Key reports, her friends banded together to help pay for her long road to recovery. They've come out to show their love and support for Desiree Avancio. Friends and family have gathered at the Lamplighter Public House in Gastown to raise money for the young woman and what's expected to be a long and difficult recovery. She's going to be in the hospital for six months to a year. She's not going to leave basically that bed for a really, really long time. And then even after that, she's going to go into a rehabilitation facility. Two weeks ago, a van dragged Avancio for four blocks along Hastings Street. Police say new evidence shows the 24-year-old walked between the van and the trailer it was hauling while the driver stopped at a traffic light. Police say the driver was impaired to some degree, but it's unclear if that played a part in the collision. The investigation is ongoing and no charges have been laid. Thank you. Yeah, Her friends are selling raffle tickets to help raise money for a GoFundMe page that's been set up. With a goal of a million dollars, more than $190,000 has already been raised. She's touched a lot of people in Vancouver. Like, she's had very loved. She's very loved. Evancio has already gone through a number of surgeries. She suffered the loss of an eye and multiple broken bones. Friends and family describe her as adventurous and full of life. You can tell there's just such a huge community of people that already miss her. I miss that energy. It seems so small until you kind of take it away and you realize that you might not ever have it again. Evancio will endure more surgeries and she'll have life-altering injuries, but her friends are determined to provide her with some amount of financial security in her long, difficult road ahead. Grace Key, Global News. Last night, we told you about an elderly man on a mobility scooter hit by a vehicle at an intersection in Surrey. That's the same intersection where another man on a mobility scooter was also hit. And now his wife is speaking out. Jordan Armstrong joins us with more. Jordan, what is she saying? Beverly Keys is calling for safety upgrades at the intersection of 177B Street and Highway 10 in Cloverdale. It is a very busy area. Five weeks ago, her husband Norman, who also uses a mobility scooter, was struck at the very same intersection. He remains in hospital with a head injury. She says Norman never knew what hit him. He was in the crosswalk with the right-of-way when he was struck by a vehicle making a left-hand turn. Norman was thrown from his scooter and woke up in an ambulance. From the north, there is no left turn light. And so who's ever coming through, they're around the corner and there they are, the crosswalk is there. And if there was a left turn light, they would have to wait until the walk light had turned off. But this whole setup is not good. It should be followed up after these two accidents and there may have been more. As for Saturday's accident, all we know is the victim is an elderly man. He was hit just before 11 a.m. The truck ended up on the sidewalk with the scooter pinned underneath the front end of the vehicle. Yesterday, Surrey RCMP described the senior's injuries as possibly life-threatening, but there's been no update on his condition today. Mounties are still looking for witnesses as well as dash cam video as they try to piece together what happened. Colleen. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. 
Starting tomorrow, Vancouver commuters can expect delays on the Granville Street Bridge as the next phase of seismic work gets underway. Construction will begin on the south approach of the aging span. Two central lanes will be closed in both directions, along with one lane on the Hemlock Ramp. In late November, construction will begin on the Seymour Ramp at the north end, as well as the 4th Avenue off-ramp. And the eight-lane bridge is 65 years old and sees 65,000 vehicle trips per day. In recent years, Granville Island merchants have complained about chunks of steel falling from the crumbling structure. The current pieces that came off were some of the, uh, the largest one would have been as big as your hand. Um, but some of them even, you know, two inches by three inches would either hurt you or kill you. But in the past, years in the past, five or ten years, there's, there's been larger pieces, two, three feet, come off the bridge. And they're working diligently now to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future. Work on the Granville Bridge Deck is expected to be finished late next year. A Maple Ridge City Councillor wants a commuter ferry to service the Fraser River to Metro Vancouver's eastern communities. Ahmed Youssef says his river vision would serve Maple Ridge, Surrey, Port Coquitlam and New Westminster, connecting with SkyTrain and buses. He believes it would address several problems. With an all-electric vessel that would be moving individuals and commuters back and forth along the Fraser River, we'd be reducing the regional carbon footprint massively by not only having to maintain our roads as often, as much, but also by taking people out of their individual occupied vehicles and being able to utilize this pristine highway that we have right here in our backyards. People living in a homeless camp in downtown Kelowna are speaking out after they suddenly found themselves being kicked out Friday night with nowhere to go. As Jules Knox reports, they believe it's because a new nightclub opened just a few doors away. Confusion on Kelowna's Leon Avenue Friday night as police tell people at the homeless encampment to pack up and go. Over their loudspeaker, they have told us that we have a grace period of 10 minutes to pack up. I swear there's like six cars. And it, when they were standing over there, it looked like they were ready for a riot. The street's residents claiming the after-dark cleanup prompted by the grand opening of the new Gotham nightclub on the block. Well, because as soon as the place is ready to go and it's open, they come along on a Friday night and kick everybody off the block. And while the city regularly cleans up the street at least three times a week, it's usually done in the day. It would have been a lot different if it would have been earlier in the day. It would have been a lot different, and it would have been a lot different if they would have talked to us like normal human beings, not like some sort of, I don't know, animals or whatever the heck they thought we were. Gotham is in the same building as the old Level nightclub, and Leon's street residents say they've coexisted peacefully with club patrons for years. They also say they have nowhere to go because the shelters are full. It's really cool to know all these people are all over Kelowna with their carts and they're angry and a lot of them are on drugs and I just feel like it's just a recipe for disaster. RCMP declined an interview but said in an email that they found more than 20 tents blocking the right-hand traffic lane and that their location posed a safety concern to their occupants and drivers. Now we're just uh, being kicked out. RCMP also said it took more than an hour to clear the street but there were no arrests. The Gotham nightclub could not be reached for comment. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. In Burnaby, firefighters were called to an apartment building on Hold'em and Lougheed when fire broke out in a 29th floor suite at about 3 o'clock this afternoon. 
The fire department says it appeared the fire started on a balcony, causing smoke damage to the suite. Everyone was evacuated safely and the fire was put out quickly. No word on a cause. Some rather dramatic scenes played out in downtown Vancouver this weekend. Fortunately, this time it was all showbiz. Several streets, including Seymour and West Pender, were littered with debris and garbage, quite possibly depicting the end of the world. We believe it's all part of a new series based on the Stephen King novel, The Stand. The city of Vancouver tweeted a warning, saying the filming involved highly visible graphic content, including dead bodies, along with loud, coarse language and gunfire, adding not to be alarmed if you were in the area. Some of the sounds and sights of Diwali at Surrey's Lakshmi Narayan Temple. Diwali is the celebration of light, rejoicing in the victory of good over evil and light over darkness. It's celebrated by many South Asian cultures and religions with prayer, music and, of course, food. While today is Diwali, events take place throughout Metro Vancouver for two weeks. Dozens honoured the life and legacy of a fallen RCMP officer today. A crisp, clear day at Deer Lake Park in Burnaby this morning for the 7th annual Adrian Oliver Memorial Run. Constable Oliver was killed in November 2012 when he was in his unmarked cruiser and was hit by a truck. Funds from the event go to Honor House, a recovery facility for first responders, Canadian Forces members, veterans and their families. This year we've had the most runners ever um, at 350, about 350. Uh, and we'll probably raise not the most money, but you know, in our upper echelons of what we've raised before in, in those years. Uh, it's gaining momentum every year. We get more runners, we get more sponsors. The 49th James Cunningham Seawall Race kicked off this morning from Second Beach in Stanley Park. The event is named for a stonemason who made construction of the seawall his life's passion. The race medals featured an image of Cunningham. The route itself, uh, I mean, Stanley Park Seawall is one of the reasons that Vancouver is one of the running destinations in the world. And so I think it, it, people just always relate to it. And I think just the, the atmosphere here, and now we have these fabulous souvenir medals. Real estate in Vancouver is hard to come by, whether you need space above ground or below. Well, now the city's only cemetery is thinking outside the box, so to speak. As Kristen Robinson tells us, it's opening up limited space and making burials more sustainable. The plot is deepening at Vancouver's only cemetery. With almost 150,000 interred remains, Mountain View's 42 hectares of city-owned real estate in high demand. There's only limited space here in, in the cemetery. When land ran out in 1986, the city stopped selling burial space here for more than two decades. After a land reclamation project, interment sales reopened in 2008. We're stacking people on top of each other. Until now, all members of the same family and only two caskets per site over 40 years. But Mountain View is going green with group graves. It wouldn't bother me. I am all for... Um, Green burials, I really am. I think this is 
a bit odd. Um, it feels like increasing density. It seems pretty beneficial. Starting next January, strangers will be allowed to share a final resting place with three or more bodies per gravesite. The bylaw changes seen as a sustainability solution to cramped crypt space. There's a lot of demand on it as our population grows, so we need to make sure that we are looking at ways that we can accommodate everybody. For me personally, I don't think it would bother me to have my family member with, a, with somebody else's. The cemetery will be allowed to think outside the box to determine how to add more remains to sites within a shorter time frame. A grave goal to maximize limited land. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Emergency crews had to rescue three people from cars submerged in floodwaters in Mississauga, Ontario. Amazingly, no one was injured. Up to 50 millimeters of rain fell overnight, and construction in the area prevented the water from draining. Residents are being warned to be careful around rivers and streams. Police in Winnipeg are investigating two separate homicides overnight that left three people dead, including a young teen. Officers responded to a Halloween party late last night and found a 14-year-old and an 18-year-old both with stab wounds, both female. The younger teen later died of her injuries. Then at around 2.30 this morning, police were called to a back lane to find two men on the ground with serious upper body, body injuries. Neither of them survived. And I, I think a 14-year-old being murdered is is absolutely uh, uh, horrible. Um, kind of uh, took my breath away this morning, and I know for investigators, uh, it's it's makes it very tough. U.S. President Donald Trump made a rare televised address this morning to tout the American military operation in Syria that killed the leader of the so-called Islamic State. The death of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi comes after Trump had been heavily criticized for pulling back U.S. troops from northern, northeastern Syria, a move that allowed jailed ISIS members to escape. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Is dead. President Trump announced the violent death of the ISIS leader in a U.S. Special Forces-led raid on his hideout in northern Syria. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. The world is now a much safer place. The president called capturing or killing al-Baghdadi the top national security priority of his administration. He said no U.S. personnel were killed in the operation, while a number of al-Baghdadi's fighters died in the battle. President Trump said he watched the raid unfold Saturday from the White House Situation Room. And as the 48-year-old ISIS leader tried to escape, he dragged three of his young children through the compound. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. He ignited his vest, killing himself and the three children. Administration officials say a combination of visual evidence and DNA tests confirmed al-Baghdadi's identity. The ISIS leader's death comes after the president faced bipartisan criticism for his decision to pull U.S. troops out of Syria. This is a moment where President Trump's worst critic should say, well done, Mr. President. It's great that we've gotten al-Baghdadi and killed him. He's a dangerous man, an evil man. The fight against ISIS has to continue. The president said al-Baghdadi's death demonstrates his commitment to the, quote, enduring and total defeat of ISIS. Nicole Killian, CBS News, the White House. 
It appears North Korea is running out of patience with the U.S. and warned that a close personal relationship between President Trump and Kim Jong-un isn't enough to prevent denuclearization talks from derailing. Kim has set an end-of-the-year deadline for another round of talks with Washington. And there's been no progress since February when the second summit between Trump and Kim failed. Today, a statement from North Korea's envoy says... It would be a mistake for the United States to ignore the deadline. Two people were killed and 12 others injured in a mass shooting at a homecoming party last night in Texas. Police say about 750 people were celebrating at an unsanctioned party near a satellite campus of Texas A&M University, east of Dallas. Police arrived at the venue following complaints of vehicles parked along the roadway. That's when they heard gunfire. It's believed the shooter may have been targeting one individual at the party and that others may have been shot at random. At least four people were injured in the resulting panic to flee. The suspect remains at large. People of the Jewish faith gathered at, a syna- at synagogues around the world to mark the one-year anniversary of the mass shooting at a synagogue in Pittsburgh. Eleven worshippers were killed and seven others injured when a gunman opened fire inside. It was the deadliest attack on Jewish people in U.S. history. The synagogue has remained closed since the massacre. Many gathered in Vancouver to mark the somber anniversary this afternoon at the Beth Israel Synagogue. People of all faiths were encouraged to attend the service and to spread a message that love is stronger than hate. We were blessed to have a number of people from the greater community, from the Muslim community, the Catholic community, and a representative from the city council, all of whom shared important words of peace and unity. The situation in Northern California is increasingly desperate as several massive wildfires grow, burning out of control. And late this afternoon, the governor of California declared a statewide state of emergency with nearly 200,000 people forced from their homes. Tonight, the worst fire California has seen this season is tearing through wine country, burning homes and reducing wineries to ash, fueled by hurricane force winds forcing nearly 200,000 people to evacuate, jamming the highways as nearly 2.5 million are still without power. The winds that we predicted are here. The crews are actively engaged in a pretty intense firefight. The nightmare unfolding right before our eyes. How close that is to the highway. With wind gusts peaking at 93 miles an hour, temporarily grounding the air attack. It is so strong and it's going everywhere that embers have started at least six spot fires, if not more. The governor has declared a state of emergency across California as historic conditions sparked other blazes like this one in Vallejo. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, you could feel it. I cannot believe they're letting us drive through this. The hot embers being carried by strong winds more than a mile away. Spot fires have been popping up all day, just like this, fueled by the excess of brush. But the problem is with conditions as windy as they are, if firefighters don't get on it right now, it could be a lot worse than just a spot fire with sections of the 101 freeway shut down. The fire has uh, jumped the containment lines. Flames tore through the historic Soda Rock winery. Have you ever seen the fire jump from that ridge line over to this side? No, not on my 30 years that I've been living here. Jose Gonzalez works at the vineyard next door. And just hours before the blaze tore through, he rigged nearby homes and barns with sprinklers, saving many. You changed the entire life 
of like probably five to 10 families today. We did. Now, more than 3,000 firefighters are battling to keep the flames from spreading southwest toward heavily populated areas and towns near the Pacific Ocean, trying to protect more lives and property from the wrath of the Kincaid Fire, far from over. Elton John postponed his concert in Indianapolis last night after the recent death of his mother-in-law. Just hours before the concert, the legendary singer-songwriter posted to social media that he was extremely unwell and in no shape to perform. John didn't offer further details, but it comes just days after the mother of his Toronto-born husband, David Furnish, died. The 72-year-old performer confirmed Gladys Furnish's death at the Toronto concert on Thursday, playing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me in her honour. Elton John is in the midst of a farewell tour, saying he's quitting the road to spend more time with his young family. The Quebec pedestrian crosswalk safety campaign that's gone viral. Why it caught everyone involved by surprise. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, what a spectacular day today. That was fantastic. We've seen sunshine uh, for both days out of the weekend. And we'll continue to see a very similar weather picture. I'll have your Halloween forecast coming up in just a moment. A beautiful sunset this evening. It was cool out there. And we will continue to see uh, chilly temperatures, especially with the clear skies. And even the winds very light. We've got some morning fog patches for our Monday, and I'll have more in just a moment. Seven right now to the airport, a westerly wind at nine kilometers per hour. A few shots that were taken, a beautiful shot of the sunrise this morning in Boundary Bay. So thank you, Peter, for capturing that. The sunrise this morning in the Bulkley Valley. Wayne capturing that fantastic shot just overlooking the water. In merit today with the sunshine, Bonnie, a great shot and getting ready for Halloween with the pumpkins and the sunset this evening in Pressy Lake. So thank you, Lorna. Thank you so much for your photo. It was fantastic weather picture out there. Temperatures today were hovering or close to the freezing mark early this morning. We bumped up into the double digits at 11, close to the average. It's at 10 degrees. Official sunset this evening just after 6 o'clock. Highs today into the single digits for the northern and central half of the province. Prince George bumping up to 4 degrees. A few spots near Kelowna and Trail with highs up to 6 and 9. And out of the airport for Victoria bumping up to 12 degrees. We've got a strong ridge of high pressure that's will continue to watch. It's building in over the next few days, sunshine and clear conditions. The one blip in the forecast is for the Kootenays, the southeastern corners. We've got a backdoor cold front just to the east of us in Alberta that is bringing in some instability. It'll pick up, especially for the overnight and morning hours. The potential is there to see some flurry activity if you're traveling along the mountain passes, especially for high elevations. For the Kootenay Pass, we are looking at a significant amount of snow. So for the morning and through the day, 5 and up to 10 centimeters will be for the pass and most areas in lower elevations will see that potential for flurries and then changing back over to showers. Ridge remains strong putting the upper level chart into play. The blip will be on Wednesday, the northern half. It does start to weaken, some rain moving in. It could be wet for your Halloween. And the southern half of the province on Thursday for trick-or-treaters will be fantastic, cool but dry. Wind chills tomorrow starting off at minus 10. Winds picking up for the peace with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Whitehorse with the high of two. Gusts tomorrow up to 50 for your winds. The wind chill for the morning, though, chilly at minus 10. Two dry days, rather, for 
for the north coast and then it's on Wednesday some rain moving in. It'll likely be wet on Thursday for Halloween. Caribou and central interior winds tomorrow northerly gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. It's really the Kootenai that will be seeing the chance of flurries picking up through the day and then changing over to a chance of showers. Chilly for the morning hours. The tops in Okanagan the winds picking up for the afternoon and continuing for the evening with the potential to see gusts of up to 70 late day tomorrow. Whistler up to 7 for the morning though. Wind chill at minus 8 and the island. The winds are going to pick up through the day. The south coast tomorrow. Even Metro Vancouver is when we're seeing windy conditions for the afternoon and evening. School day forecast. Be sure to bundle up. It's going to be cool heading out the door and for the afternoon highs tomorrow. Only up to 10 degrees. Could see some frost, some morning fog patches and then on our Thursday it is going to be on the cool side but so far dry for Halloween. Colleen? All righty. Thanks so much Yvonne. Earlier in the newscast, we told you about a Surrey intersection where two men on scooters were hit by cars. We know that being a driver and being a pedestrian requires a great deal of attention. With that in mind, Quebec's Auto Insurance Corporation, or SAC, recently launched a pedestrian safety campaign. The advertisement depicts real pedestrians who decide to cross at crosswalks. At first glance, it all seems pretty normal. But when the pedestrian arrives at the street corner and a driver is too close to them, everyone gets a surprise. Have a look. As you can see, the yellow painted lines on the ground, they turn out to be a sign that rises suddenly and forces the drivers to brake to let the pedestrians across. The message on the sign, this crossing protects pedestrians. Thanks for stopping. The campaign has gone viral and generated a lot of feedback on social media. The insurance corporation pointing out that no driver they filmed seemed to have a cell phone or seemed to be driving distracted or speeding. And that dangerous behavior is not exclusively of one single group of road users. That's putting it um, diplomatically. Mm -hmm. Diplomatically. Good idea, don't you think? Good idea. Uh, it would freak you out a little bit. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> but I love that they used real people. Yes. In real, you they pay didn't, attention. They didn't warn them <laughs> yeah. ahead of time. No. Good sign, what are you, so what to speak. Are you, yes, so to speak. What are you warning us about? Well, Tiger Woods. A couple years ago, you know, everyone kind of figured his, uh, his career was over. But Tiger's, uh, you know, one of the great comebacks maybe oh, yeah. in the history of sport, really, compared, uh, considering where he came from and he made more history today in Japan, so we'll tell you about that. Seahawks played down in Atlanta. They won. It's got some World Series, rugby, lots some coming. Good news. A lot of stuff coming. Nice. Okay, looking forward to it. Um, I think this whole Tiger comeback thing is amazing. It is yeah, something, you know. I mean, you know, his first tournament win was 23 years ago when he was 20. Had a little bit of a, he had a, he had a great run, had a little bit of trouble in the a middle there. A little bit there. of trouble. And uh, now Second he's act. Bad. So, yeah, he's one of those guys that... Uh, One of the greats of all time, no matter what sport. All right, thanks, Colleen. Tiger Woods uh, has done what many thought was impossible just a few years ago. Today, he captured his 82nd career PGA Tour victory, the Zozo Championship in Japan. That 82nd win ties Tiger with Sam Snead for the most tour victories ever. It's a record that has stood for 54 years. Jack Nicklaus couldn't catch Snead, but Tiger has. And by the way he played this weekend, there is no doubt he will own that record on his own in the very near future. A Monday finish in Japan because heavy rain earlier in the week put them behind schedule, but the uh, avid Japanese fans out to witness history. Tiger 
with seven holes to go at a three-shot lead, but didn't get off to a good start. Maybe some nerves. First hole out of the bunker, carries it too far, would uh, end up making a bogey, so his lead down to two. Japan's Hideki Matsuyama trying to spoil Tiger's party in his home country, trying to get within one, but misses a short birdie putt. Can't miss those when Tiger has a lead. Tiger then on the par 5 14th, and he will knock it in with confidence. He has putted so well this week in Japan. His lead back up to three with just four holes to go, but Matsuyama not going away quietly from about... 20 feet on the 16th, and this one will go down for birdie. Matsuyama to 16 under, just two back, but that's where he would finish up. Meanwhile, Canadian Corey Connors for eagle at the 18th. Just misses, but a tap-in birdie for Corey. 11 under, tied for sixth. Nice payday of about 338000 Adam Hadwin, by the way, tied for 41st at minus one. But it's a stress-free walk for Tiger up the 18th, looking to finish in style with a birdie. And, of course, he does. 19 under, a three-shot victory. His 82nd career win ties him with Sam Snead for the all-time lead. And afterwards, Tiger very grateful he's back at the top of the golf heap. At the point where I, I didn't know if I'd ever play again, uh, I was just hoping to be able to walk normal again. Um, so uh, to be able to go through all that to get to where I'm at now is uh, very, very. I'm very appreciative. I, I know how how it feels to have um, this game. You know, what I felt like was taken away from me, where I, I couldn't participate in the way that I wanted to, and uh, I'm just so happy and so fortunate to be able to have this opportunity again. The Seahawks hit the midway point of their season today, and they got another road victory, their fourth straight this year, 27-20 over Atlanta. That improved Seattle to 6-2, one of the best records in the NFC. Now, that is the half-glass-full version of this story. If you add up the records of the six teams they've beaten so far this year, they are a combined 10-25. and 25. The only quality team Seattle has a win against are the Rams, and only because L.A. missed a last-second field goal. So hard to say how good the Seahawks team really is. Russell Wilson in the offense hoping to bounce back after a subpar performance in last week's loss to Baltimore. Second quarter, Wilson with the quick strike to the rookie DJ Metcalf. Four-yard touchdown pass. 10-0 Seahawks in front. Matt Schaub at quarterback for the Falcons this weekend for the injured Matt Ryan. Schaub is picked off. Great interception by the linebacker Michael Kendricks. That led to another Seahawks touchdown. And then late in the half, Wilson to Metcalf one more time. And the Seahawks with a very comfortable, and it seemed insurmountable, 24-0 lead at the half. But the Falcons come on in the second half. Brian Hill takes the pitch, and he will gallop 23 yards for the touchdown. They got the two-point conversion, and it's 23-8. Late in the fourth, Schaub with the quick strike to Austin Hooper for the touchdown. And the Falcons would get to within seven at 27-20. Just over a minute left. They need to get the onside kick, but they are 1-7 for a reason. The kick, oh, not a very good one, goes out of bounds. Seahawks get the ball, run out the clock. Not exactly a resounding win, but they go to 6-2 and two with the 27-20 win. They host Tampa next Sunday. NFC West 40, uh, leading 49ers trying to go to 7-0 and against visiting Carolina. And this was all 49ers. Tevin Coleman, 19-yard touchdown run here, made it 14-3. Second quarter, it's Coleman again. This time, he will bust through, and it's a 48-yard touchdown run. He also caught a touchdown pass. 
Four TDs for Coleman on the day, 27-3 ers at the half. In the third, Debo Samuel with a 20-yard touchdown gallop. 49ers rushing for over 230 yards, and they win at Ashley 51-13 the final. That should be San Francisco a perfect 7-0. Meanwhile, in London, England, L.A. Rams taking on Cincinnati at Wembley Stadium. High game in the second until the Rams go with the razzle-dazzle like something you'd uh, draw up on the playground. But it worked. Jarrett Goff slings to Cooper Cup, and he just makes a beeline to the end zone, making his way through that bad Cincinnati secondary. 65-yard touchdown, 17 Rams at the half. Third quarter, Rams put this one away. Todd Gurley to the outside, goes in untouched, then gives uh, an English fan a little American souvenir. Throws it up into the crowd. Rams win at 24-10. They're 5-3, just a game behind Seattle. The woeful Bengals drop to 0-8. Drew Brees back at quarterback for the Saints after missing five games with a thumb injury. They were 5-0 under backup Teddy Bridgewater. It took Brees about a half to get going, but in the third, 15-yard touchdown pass here to Latavius Murray, who just gets inside the cone. 17-6 for the Saints. And then in the fourth, Breeze will go five yards to Taysom Hill, the Mr. Everything for the Saints. He's actually their third-string quarterback, but he's had three touchdown catches already this year. 24-9, and then a third touchdown pass to Michael Thomas. Breeze, 34 of 43, 373 yards, and the three touchdowns. Yeah, he seems okay. Saints now 7-1 after the 31-9 win. Bill Belichick's Patriots trying to stay perfect, hosting the Cleveland Browns. Miserable conditions at Foxborough today. Cleveland, its own worst enemy, running back Nick Chubb fumbles here. Dante uh, Hightower will recover and then take it back 26 yards for the touchdown. The Brands, uh, Browns committed three turnovers in the first quarter alone as New England jumped out 17-0. Tom Brady threw a pair of touchdown passes, both to Julian Edelman as the Pats go to 8-0 after handling the Browns 27-13. Belichick's 300th career win trails only George Hallis and Don Shula on the all-time list. Welcome back. It's been the road show so far in the World Series. Four games played, four wins for the road team. That meant the series was tied heading into the pivotal Game 5 tonight in Washington. No matter what happens tonight, the series will return to Houston on Tuesday. Astros have got off to good starts in both games in Washington. Same thing today, top of the second. Jordan Alvarez is going to launch one to left center. A two-run shot off national starter Joe Ross. 2-0 Houston. Melania President Trump, Trump. Here quick trip for him tonight. from the uh, White House to the stadium, top fourth. Carlos Correa, he goes deep as well. That one is a no-doubter. Two-run shot again, and the Astros look well on their way to winning a third state road game. They're up 4-0 in the fifth. Rugby World Cup, second semifinal from Japan, Wales versus South Africa. 56th minute, tied at nine. South African center Damien Dialande beats a pair of defenders, busts his way over. Springboks were up 16-9, but Wales responds with their first try. Josh, Josh Adams takes it in 16-16 in the late going, but there would be no massive upset today like there was yesterday. Four minutes to go. The winning penalty booted by Andre Pollard. Those are your winning points. Two-time champ South Africa wins at 1916. Springboks will meet England in a rematch of the 07 World Cup final next Sunday. NHL today, Sergei Bobrovsky and the Panthers in Edmonton to take on the Oilers. Second period, no score until Aaron Ekblad 
will beat Mike Smith. Beautiful goal off the rush there for the Florida D-man, 1-0. And then Brian Boyle, who just signed a contract with the Panthers, showing off some great patience and hands here. 2-0 Florida. And they weren't done yet. Just 38 seconds later, Oilers turn it over. Noel Achari will make it 3-0. Three goals in a two-minute, five-second span. Panthers hand the Oilers their first home loss of the season, 6-2. Panthers visit the Canucks tomorrow night. Western Hockey League this afternoon at the LEC just finished. Prince George Cougars win in overtime. The Giants just 7-8-1 over the first 16. Bit of a slow start for them. English Premiership, first place, Liverpool taking on Tottenham Hotspurs. Spurs get on the board in the opening minute. Who else but Harry Kane? Son Hung Min off the defender, off the crossbar. Kane will convert with the diving header just 47 seconds in. 1-0 Spurs at half, but Liverpool get it back in the 52nd from Jordan Henderson, who will chop one into the turf, bounces it inside the far post, ties it 1-1, and then... Sadio Mane is taken down from behind in the box. Penalty awarded to Liverpool. Mo Salah, of course, will take the kick from the spot, and he hammers in the left footer. Liverpool win again 2-1. They're nine wins, one draw through 10. They lead Man City by six points. Spurs suffering in 11th place. And we got some Formula One from Mexico City. Huge crowd to watch the Mexico Grand Prix. Bit of a frisky start. Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen onto the grass. Hamilton, the points leader, was back in fifth. He pitted once early. He was concerned about his tires wearing, but they decided to stay out. Never pitted again, and they assumed the race lead just over the halfway point. And the Englishman... Put on a driving display after that. Stayed ahead of the usual pursuers, Sebastian Vettel and Valtteri Bottas. So Hamilton wins in Mexico, continues to lead Bottas in the driver's standings, and Hamilton likely to clinch the title at the U.S. Grand Prix next week. A sweater once worn by the late musician Kurt Cobain has sold for a record amount of money. We passed upon the stand such a great song. It fetched $334,000, the highest price ever paid at auction for a sweater. The lead singer for Nirvana wore the pale blue, pale green cardigan that you're seeing here during the band's 1993 MTV Unplugged concert. Of course, Cobain died in 1994 at the age of 27. $334,000. Could get a lot of sweaters. That's probably going to go, yeah, yeah. I hope it goes into a museum or something so that everyone can see it. Yeah. And share. Amazing. You'll need a sweater. Yeah. Yes. How do you Good like one. that? Huh? That's why she's paid the big bucks. Segway. Final look at your five-day forecast, Colleen. Grab that sweater, maybe not the $334,000 one, but you'll need it over the next couple of days, sunshine too. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. We've got more coming up at 11. Good night.